Man, thank you guys so much. Man, that was good stuff, wasn't it? Thank you all so much. God is, whew. it can be a little, it can be a little stress um, when you lose your worship leader. And But man, these folks have stepped up in the last few weeks and we're so grateful for, for them. Thank you. And the people back there that are making calls during the week and trying to get these people, we're just I'm so thankful. And uh, man, really, really feel like what we just did is hard to do this after. I want to keep going, you know, but it's one of those things. Shut up and preach. All right, here we go. Well, we, we started looking at the writing of Nehemiah last week, and I'm calling this series Vision Reconstruction. And if you were here, you kind of remember a little bit. If not, that's all right. We're going to talk about uh, Nehemiah. And then you say, hey, that's kind of a uh, obscure book maybe in the Bible that you may not have read. You may know that, maybe not, but either way, it's, it's, uh, I think it, it is very applicable today as God's Word is always applicable um, in our lives. If we really will read it and look, that's why God gives it to us. Uh, but I wanted to start this morning with a, a couple of years ago. Y'all uh, know uh, on Super Bowl Sunday for probably the last five or six years, we've done something called Football Sunday, and we dress up in our football gear and we show this um, video called Football Sunday, and it's got a lot of NFL players sharing their personal testimonies and their faith in Christ, and uh, it's very inspiring, very encouraging, and one of the guys that has been on there a lot in the last couple of years named Ben Watson is one of the hosts, and um, uh, we've seen him, and, and he's, he's got a strong faith, and he just retired, I believe, from the New Orleans Saints in the 2019 season, but right after that, something happened uh, in New Orleans that was going on. Someone had been burning uh, churches, historical black churches, and they were it was a deliberate arson type thing. And Ben heard about this, and he had just retired. And you think, hey, I'm just retired. I'm out of football. I'm going to you know, kind of sit back and do what retired people do. But he immediately got involved with this because something about that really concerned him and, uh, and hit him in the heart. And uh, so he chose to use his um, platform, and he had a very sizable social media following to spread the news and saying, hey, these churches have been... Uh, you know, burned and burned down, and this was arson, and I want to help come together and assist these churches in rebuilding these churches and, and coming around them after a, a tragedy like that has happened. And so he tweeted this. He said, it's imperative that we show this community and the entire country that these types of acts do not represent who we are. And most importantly, as the body of Christ, we suffer alongside our brothers and sisters whenever tragedy, persecution, or loss happens. There was the St. Mary Baptist Church in Port Bar, uh, Greater Union Baptist Church in Opelousas. And if I'm mispronouncing, um, if you're from Louisiana, I apologize in advance. I'm not saying your city's right because I know that's a serious thing. And Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Opelousas um, were also burned during a 10-day span from March to April in 2019. And they eventually caught the guy who was doing it, a 21-year-old guy who was setting these fires. But... but uh, uh, ben Watson said he talked to all of these pastors from all three of these churches, and this is what he said about those conversations after this had happened. He said, in speaking with these pastors, I am in awe and inspired by their faith and courage, comforting their congregations and family members. Through sadness and shock, they spoke of forgiveness for the arsonist and grace for tomorrow. Most importantly, they spoke of being overwhelmed by support from people of goodwill and all religions from around the country, and they were humbled by what God has already done through this series of events. Now, that is encouraging when something 
terrible happens, some tragedy happens like this, but yet people come around and the people that are involved in it recognize, even in the midst of these things, God is present. Doesn't mean those things were great, but God is present and He's still doing things in the midst of this. And there was something in Ben Watson's heart that says, I can't just let this go. I have to get involved with this. And he did. He couldn't just let it go. So I want to make a statement that we're going to come back to later in, in my message, but I want you to think about that. If a problem offends you or grieves you so deeply at a heart level, at a soul level, it might be part of God's invitation for you and I to be a part of the solution. And I'm going to try to say that again. If something that's a problem <clears throat> grieves you or I so deeply in our heart and soul, it might be part of God's plan and His invitation to invite you to participate in the solution. And that's exactly what Ben did in this situation. He felt something in his heart, but it he recognized, but God was inviting him to be part of the solution. And that's exactly what Nehemiah is doing. Now, if you weren't here last week, I, I mentioned a, a little bit of how it ties into our time. We're, we're kind of coming out of an exile, aren't we, in this, this pandemic thing, if you think about it. Slowly coming out. And I know it's gotten really bad in India, and that's kind of scary. But we're slowly coming out of that. And, and not just, as I mentioned last week, not just the pandemic, but socially and politically, we've come out of some rough times. And we feel like we're coming out of exile. And we're trying to, to say, what next? How are we going to you know, how are we going to act? How are we going to participate in our community, in our world, now that the pandemic's kind of, you know, going away a little bit? And, and how are we going to act? What's next for me when maybe the political uh, and cultural things that are going on socially in, in, our, in our world, how are we going to respond to that as Christians, as individual followers of Jesus? And as part of the body of Christ, we must start forming a clear vision of how we're going to move forward. Not just give up, but we're the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. That's what the church is. But also as individuals, wherever our place of influence is. Now, I've chosen the writing of Nehemiah to look at because I, ho I hope it will encourage you, as it has me over the years, and challenge us to develop a godly vision um, for our situation. Now, I want to kind of do a little bit of more background. Last week, if you were here, you remember Nehemiah. And you think, oh, yeah, okay, I know who that guy is. But just a little more background. Uh, we learned that part of the consequences for Israel and Judah, and you remember there was King David, and then there was King Solomon, and after King Solomon, Israel split into two kingdoms, uh, a northern kingdom, which was called Israel in the north, and then in the southern kingdom called Judah, and uh, they had split. And eventually, both of those kingdoms were taken over by enemies because they had broken their covenant with God. And we talked specifically in Nehemiah's particular family. They were in the southern kingdom of Judah, and they thought it would never happen. Jerusalem would never be taken over. But in 586 B.C., the Babylonians swept in, and they burned Jerusalem, and they tore down the temple. And if you remember, I said in that day, they carted off whoever was still alive from Jerusalem to Babylonium, some 750 or 1,000 miles away. That's how they did the warfare in those days. And part of that was, was the goal to make your enemy lose their identity. Forget who they were. Reprogram their mind and their culture. Put them in your culture. Not allow them to live in their culture anymore so that they would reprogram them so that their culture would go away and they would just blend in 
to the culture they were around. Well, Nehemiah was born into captivity in Babylon, and somehow that major event and all those years of captivity had not erased his identity. He knew he was still a Jew. He knew he was still from Israel. His parents, his grandparents... The people that were there, they kept telling him, never forget who you are. Never forget your true identity. And they never forgot their stories, their legacy, their traditions. They continued to be passed on because the enemy could not take that away from them. So Israel still had this purpose and this vision that God had given them, but it needed reconstructing because they realized we've been punished. We've been in exile because we broke Uh, that trust with God. We had this covenant with God. We were supposed to be who the world saw as what a relationship with God was supposed to be like, and we got greedy. We got lackadaisical. We started uh, worshiping other idols, and we put God as secondary, and now he's going to say, I'm backing off, and you're on your own, and they understood that. And not only them, but also their enemies understood that. So some 100 years had passed since this destruction and exile of those living in Jerusalem, and now there was a world power that was new. Not the Babylonians anymore, but now it was the Persians. And the Persians had a little different philosophy of how to do it. They said, you know what, we're going to let those who we govern in our regions, we're going to let them have their own religion because it seems to keep the peace a little better if we'll just let them have their religion. So at the time, uh, King Cyrus was the king, and he let this group of exiles go back to Jerusalem was Zerubbabel and Ezra and some others, and they started to rebuild the temple was Zerubbabel. And the temple was rebuilt, but it never was anything like Solomon's magnificent temple that everybody remembered. I mean, yeah, they redid the church or the temple, but it just wasn't like it was. And as you remember last week, Nehemiah gets a report. Yes, the temple has been somewhat rebuilt, but it ain't much of a temple. But Jerusalem is still just just looks terrible. It's in ruins. And the people there are very discouraged. They're in great trouble and disgrace, as we heard about in the first chapter. So after this report, Nehemiah hears this, and he mourns, and he fasts, and he prays for many days before the God of heaven, he says. And God, out of this grief that's in his heart and his soul, gives him a vision to do something about this, a solution to this problem in Jerusalem. And so last week, I shared a definition. If we can get that... uh, slide up there again last week and it's at the bottom there it says uh, vision is a picture of the future that produces passion in people and I love that definition so that's what Nehemiah is trying to do he's trying to give them a picture of the future which God already has he goes I'm going to punish you but there's an alternative hope for the future that I hope will produce a passion in you to repent and become who you were always supposed to be and then that vision is something that stirs up emotion or passion in us like it did um in, uh, in, in a Nehemiah, and then that provided the mo- motivation, and then it determines direction for us, and it translates purpose for us. So we see those elements, not only in Ben Watson doing what he was doing, but also in Nehemiah. So in that prayer, if you remember last week, it ended with these words that he says, please give me success today in the presence of that man. And we, we cut it off right there. Well, who was that man? Well, that man was King Artaxerxes. Or King, yeah, Artaxerxes. And he was going to go to him and he was going to say in his conversation, I want to do something about this. So that's what he prays for. So we're going to look at chapter 2 today. That'll be on the screen or in your Bibles or on your personal devices. We're going to look at chapter 2 of Nehemiah, verses 1 through 10. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him... I took the wine, remember he is 
the, he, he has to taste the wine and food before the, the king does. He is the cupbearer. That means if anybody's trying to poison the king, they're going to kill Nehemiah first. Great job, huh? But that's what he does. So I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me the timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy? And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king also sent army officers and cavalry with me when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Now, I'm going to stop right there. So he's had this prayer, he's had this time of fasting, and he is scared because he's going before the king and he's going to make this request, like, I want to do something about this. He has a vision, but he's scared because how is the king going to respond to my vision, because it's somewhere way far away. So as we read this, we see it's clear that God answered Nehemiah's prayer. But what I really want us to see here is this, is that Nehemiah truly had a vision before he went to the king. He wasn't just talking off the cuff. It wasn't just off the top of his head. He had been thinking about this. He had been praying this. This was a well-thought-out, this was a well-prayed-out vision that had taken a while for him to develop, maybe even throughout his whole lifetime, because since a little kid, he's saying, his parents, his, his fellow Jewish people have been saying, you know, we're really not from here. This is really not our homeland. We were taken from our homeland, and we don't want you ever to forget where our homeland really is. So never forget that. He's been told that since a little kid, all leading up to this point. And as we read, God answered this bold ask that he has to the king with a bold response. I don't know that he was expecting this. The king was very aware of Nehemiah's appearance that day. He goes... You know what? You, you've never been sad like this before, and I know you're not sick. This can only be, what did he say, sadness of heart. The king has taken a personal interest in Nehemiah. Now, obviously, they're pretty close. If the guy that's going to taste your food every day, you want to be kind of close with him, right? <laughs> you know? So they've developed a relationship, but still, he's a servant to the king. That's who he is, and he's, he's of a, a different... Uh, you know, I'm a Jew, and he's not. This is, this is different, but this is their relationship. But he says... I want to know what's going on. There's something in your heart that's bothering you. He didn't just say, you know, ah, don't worry about it. But he tells him, he goes, well, how, why should I not be sad? The place where my ancestors, where I'm from, my roots, where I'm from, lies in ruins. And I want to do something about it. It's something in my soul. Now, that's scary. Because the king could have said, and? So what? That's a thousand miles away, Nehemiah. What business is it of yours to do that? That actually is my land now. I occupy that. 
So what, what do you need to go back there for? Or he could have said, yep, sorry to hear that. Or he could have said, hey, that's what happens in war. And matter of fact, you are the people who broke covenant with your God. This is why this happens, I, you know, Nehemiah. So sorry about that. He could have been, but he wasn't flipping at all. He listens to him tell this, and, and Nehemiah said, I was scared. Why was he scared? Because the king could have said, absolutely not. He could have had him killed. But what does he say? What is it you want? I don't think Nehemiah was expecting that. What is it you want? I hear you. What is it that you want? Now, can you imagine if by some chance, and we have stuff that we're frustrated about right now in our lives, aren't we? I know you are because you talk about it. As soon as, as, soon as we get through with here, y'all going to go to lunch and rah, 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 back and forth at lunch. I know you. That's what we do. We talk about things that are going on. I do it too. Things that are going on in the world and we gripe about it. Blah, blah, blah. Even if it isn't politics. Why aren't the Braves doing better? I thought they were going to be good this year. You know, all that kind of stuff. We, we gripe. But what if you, as you're talking about this, whatever it is that, that bothers you about our country or our community or about our culture, if somebody goes, hey, you know what? I can get you, I can get you in to talk to the President of the United States. And you went, what? Yeah, I can get you in to talk to President Biden tomorrow. And what if that actually happens? And you get to go before President Biden tomorrow and you tell him what's on your heart and say, this is what's happening in our country and this is what I think we ought to do about it. And he goes, okay, so what do you want? Can you imagine if he said that to you? What do you want? And now the ball's in your court, just like for Nehemiah. I don't know if he was expecting the king to say, what is it that you want? But when the king said, what is it that you want? He had a vision and he was ready to go, well, here's what I want. But here's the thing, we can complain about stuff all the time, but if we don't really try to be part of the solution, it's just talk, isn't it? And Nehemiah was not about talk, he was about action. I mean, there's a part of me that would have said, hey, when he said, what is it that you want, I would have left as fast as I could before he changed his mind. (laughs) But Nehemiah didn't leave, did he? He says, as a matter of fact, Thank you for letting me do that. And he says, I gave him the time when I wanted to go and when I would come back. But can you also give me all this paperwork I, need, I will need to get through all these regions? Because as I'm going through these regions, people go, who are you? Well, I'm going to rebuild Jerusalem. <laughs> oh, no, you're not. But if he has the king's letters and they go, oh, this is from King Artaxerxes. We better write this way, sir. So he's got all this. And then he goes, and I'm going to need timber. He has thought this through. Do y'all realize this? He knows where all the gates are in Jerusalem. He knows where all these things are. I'm going to need timbers. And he knew the man that had the timbers. And he says, can you get that? And guess what? The king let him have all of these things. It blows me away. So he gets even a bolder answer than he asked for. And And the king grants all of his requests. And that's an amazing thing. How and why? Well, Nehemiah answers that for us. He says, because the gracious hand of my God was on me. It's a personal God. God is personal. Just like the king says, I know you're sad. I know there's something going on in your heart. This is sadness of heart. Guess what? God knew that too. God put that in the king's mind to say, to recognize what was going on with Nehemiah. Because the gracious hand of God was on Nehemiah and he never forgot that. And not just in the beginning stage, y'all. You will see this all through this reading as we read Nehemiah. So Nehemiah recognized this was from God. Yes, he had the vision, but he recognized the hand of God had to be with him for the king to react in this way and be so willing to let him do this. And from the very beginning, it was guiding him in this vision, but now it's guiding him. He's going, this is going to be a reality. God really does hear my prayers. He really is going to do something. He's given me this opportunity. I've got to move forward with it. Now, what we will see as we go through Nehemiah is this. 
that Nehemiah does not act in his life without praying. He doesn't do anything without praying. And guess what? After he prays, Nehemiah does not pray and then not act. He acts on it. Do you see how important that is? A lot of times we do things in our life, but we don't really pray about them first. And we make a big mess of them. We go, God, please come in and fix this mess I've made. Or sometimes we pray about things, but we just kind of this nebulous prayer. Well, God, you know, take care of that. And we just say, well, I guess something will happen maybe, but I just throw up a prayer like this. But no, he is specifically saying, I'm going to pray to God, and I'm expecting something to happen, and I'm going to act on it. And sometimes we don't do that. Well, the reason I don't pray sometimes about things is because I think I can do them myself. Don't you all? Oh, I got this. I don't need to bother God with that because I got this. And God's going, man. You know, have you ever had somebody, have you ever gone to somebody and says, hey, I hate to bother you with this, but could you do this for me? Now, when somebody tells that to me, I hate to hear that. I hate to bother you because I'm like, what did I do to them to make them think that I'm bothering? I guess I was a jerk the last time they needed something because they were like, I hate to bother you because you're usually a jerk about these things. It makes you feel bad, doesn't it? So when someone usually says, I hate to bother you, I go, you're not bothering me at all because I want to help you when someone brings a request to you. And that's the way God is. He wants us to bring our request to him. I want to help you. Like when your kids come to you and say, don't bother me with that. No, I want to help you. How can I help you with this? And so he is saying, I'm not going to act without praying and I'm not going to pray without acting. And some of the times that I don't act, even though I pray, is because I have a, a weak faith. And Jonathan, who preached a couple of weeks ago, I remember it really struck me. He told that story from the book of Acts where Peter was in prison, if you remember that. And, and there was this whole church meeting in this house, and they were praying all night for God to deliver Peter from this. And so an angel came and actually delivered Peter from the jail. The, the chains fell off, and he walked right through the jail and he went and knocked on the door where they were all praying. And they go, who's at the door? And Rhoda goes, oh, it's Peter. And they go, no, he's not. There's no way. And I thought, Jonathan's exactly right. Why do we do that? Why do we pray for things and then act like God's not going to do anything? But we do that sometimes. And we get distracted by so many things in our culture. But Nehemiah, as you'll see as we go through this, he's not distracted by these things in his culture. And he asked God to give him wisdom and grace in this matter of rebuilding Jerusalem. And he knows that he needs God's wisdom and grace. So I want us to think about this morning uh, all that the, the world has to distract us. And I know I bring up the phones and all that a lot because it's just such a powerful thing that distracts us. And we have more power over that than we think we do. We've got to turn it off sometimes. We've got to put it aside. We've got to set some limits and use some self-discipline and know that God is God. But sometimes we've got to be still and know that God's... Have you ever been doing your devotion and your phone goes off? Okay, thank you for being honest because I do it too sometimes. And then I'm going, what am I doing? I was going to be reading the Bible and I'm going, oh, who's that? It might be important. And God's going, Really? You know, And so we have to be careful of that, but we're distracted. We're distracted too much, and we need to be still and know that God is God. And he wants to be present in our lives, but he can't be present in our lives when everything else is more important than him. And we let all these distractions control us. And God doesn't want to control us. He wants to invite us to be part of his kingdom work because that's why he created us in the first place, to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. 
That's what God wants us to do. But many times we're too distracted to even see or act on that. So let me go back to that statement I made earlier. If a problem, if an issue grieves you so deeply at the heart or soul level, it might be part of God's invitation for you to participate in its solution. Does anybody here today believe that? There's something that really is in my, is in my heart and soul that's bugging me. Well, then maybe God wants to use you to participate in doing something about that. I don't know what it is for you. That's not my job. That's between you and God. But over the last few months or maybe even years or longer, something's grieved you and it's still in your heart and your soul. And God is maybe prompting you to participate in the solution. Is that possible? I want you all to really think about that today. Have you prayed about this? Have you acted on this? Or have you prayed about it but not acted? Or have you acted but not prayed? Those two have to go together, and Nehemiah makes that clear. What's holding you back? Maybe God is waiting for you to make a move before he makes another move. He wants to see how serious you are. He knows you've prayed about it, but you've not really made a move, or maybe I haven't made a move about it. Mark Batterson is a a guy who's written a a lot of books, and uh, we've uh, done some of those books in some small groups here, and and maybe some of y'all who are on Right Now Media have seen some of his series. He's, He's really a a neat guy. He does a, he's a pastor of a church in Washington, um, D.C., but he talks about this very thing uh, in his life, how sometimes we don't act. He thinks God's waiting on us to act before he goes to the next step because he wants to see how serious we are. He says, in my experience, signs follow decisions. The way you overcome spiritual inertia and produce spiritual momentum is by making tough decisions. And the tougher the decision, the more potential momentum it will produce. The primary reason most of us don't see God moving is simply because we aren't moving. If you want to see God move, you you need to take a move. And he says, I learned this lesson in dramatic fashion during the first year at National Community Church. That's where he serves in Washington, D.C. He said, we have been praying for a drummer to join our worship team for months, but I felt like I needed to put some feet on my faith. So I went out and bought a $400 drum set. It was a field of dreams moment. You know, you buy it and they will come, okay? So he says, I bought that drum set on Thursday, and Sunday we had a guy show up as our drummer, and he was really good. Matter of fact, he was part of the United States Marine Drum and Bugle Corps, and he became their drummer. Now, that's a neat story. He says, I cannot promise that signs will follow your faith immediately in three minutes or three hours or three days like like the drum thing. But when you take a step of faith, signs will follow. God will sanctify your expectations and you will begin to live your life with this holy anticipation that God is doing something. You will be able to wait. You will not be able to wait and see what God's going to do next. Now, Mark's story is exactly what happened to Nehemiah if you think about it. Nehemiah had these expectations. He had prayed about it, but he acted on it. When he had a chance to go before the king, and the king goes, what's wrong with you today? He goes, oh, nothing. How many times do we do that? And nothing means what? Something's really bad bothering me, but I ain't going to tell you. You know, we do that all the time. But no, he told the king. He said, I was scared, and he said, I threw up a prayer to God. Here we go. And he made that request. And the king goes, what do you want? And he gave him all these things. And that was a sign from God. You're on the right track, Nehemiah. You have prayed about this. You have a godly vision. You're motivated in your heart and soul to do something about your homeland. And now you have the opportunity to do it. And God has opened the door for you. Now you need to walk through it. And that's exactly what Nehemiah is doing. Praying leads to some bold ask. 
And those bold asks can lead to some bold answers and start a vision that produces passion in other people who will join you in this vision. And I think that's what God wants to do in our lives. So I don't know what solution maybe that God wants you or me to be a part of, but I want us to really ask ourselves this morning, have we really prayed about that? Have we really acted on those things that, that, are, that are in our hearts and our souls? And I want to encourage you to start that process to see what, what, what will happen. And I can't wait to hear as maybe something will come out of this. Not because of the sermon, but because God wants to do something in your life. 